the U.S. government has poured tremendous resources into the rapid development of vaccines against COVID-19. Although new entities and investments have aided research efforts, relying on existing well-established mechanisms for evaluating vaccines and for creating recommendations for how to use them could foster better public trust moving forward. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Jason Schwartz, an Assistant Professor in the Department of Health Policy and Management at the Yale School of Public Health. Dr. Schwartz has written a perspective article about regulatory and policymaking activities related to COVID-19 vaccines. Dr. Schwartz, we're talking now in mid-October. What's the current state of research on the various COVID-19 vaccine candidates? We have a multitude of vaccine candidates in development right now, several of which are in the large phase three clinical trials and have been for a few months now. So as those vaccine candidates are moving forward, we're getting close to the point where we're going to start seeing the kinds of safety and efficacy data that may lead the Food and Drug Administration to look toward an emergency use authorization or full approval. So we've got a bevy of candidates, several nearing those critical junctures where there will be important questions for regulators, particularly the Food and Drug Administration here in the United States. So in a recent perspective article, Slowey and Hepburn talked about Operation Warp Speed and outlined how the development of a COVID-19 vaccine began in January, phase one clinical trials in March, first phase three trials in July. What made this compressed timeline possible? The Operation Warp Speed effort really has been remarkable at doing what it was established to do, was to move the scientific research and development of vaccine candidates forward at a pace that we haven't seen before, both in terms of the speed in which these vaccine candidates are advancing and the number of vaccine candidates we have in play right now. And that's been done through trying to build collaborations, spend billions of dollars to facilitate research moving forward, and to try and balance the need for speed at eliminating or reducing the bottlenecks that might otherwise make vaccine development such a laborious process while still not compromising on the necessary testing in human trials, increasingly large human trials, that we need to get the evidence to understand whether or not these vaccines work and whether they're safe before deploying them. So it really is an all-hands-on-deck scenario, as a recently released organization chart for the Operation Warp Speed team illustrated between government, industry, public health, logistics experts in the military, and to the extent that the vaccine candidates are as far along in development as they are less than a year after the emergence of the virus that causes COVID-19, it's been a real success. And of course, the ultimate judge of whether the effort's been successful will come as we understand more about these vaccines and their safety and efficacy profiles. So despite all these innovations for speed, you say in your article that regulatory and policymaking activities are within the capabilities of the existing processes and personnel at federal agencies. So what organizations have been working on recommendations for vaccine approval and distribution, and what are the major considerations that they're looking at? Right. No, so that's the balancing act, the other side of the coin here, and that it's one thing to throw out the old playbook when it comes to how we invest in early stage or even later stage vaccine research and how we throw out the old playbook in terms of the barriers that might make collaborations and coordinations during that process slower than it otherwise could be. But then when we get to these critical junctures, as I write about in my piece, where we have to evaluate whether or not these vaccines are now ready to be made available to millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of Americans and international populations, and how we figure out the best way to deploy those vaccines. 
those are areas where we have a great deal of experience and expertise in the federal government with the Food and Drug Administration and its nonpartisan career scientists who are the best in the world at evaluating vaccine trial results and answering those questions about whether vaccines are ready to meet the kinds of standards we'd expect for them to be used broadly. And then in a parallel way at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, those experts and the expert advisors supporting those government officials who understand very well the complex set of considerations that go into how we think about the best way to use approved vaccines. So I think it's a balancing act, and that's what I tried to emphasize in the paper, that we've done remarkable work with getting vaccines as far as they are, and we have remarkably challenging work ahead in terms of logistics and distribution and manufacturing and the nuts and bolts of what a vaccination program might look like. But we're at this point now over these next several months where there are really important scientific and public health and policy considerations to be made. And we have the right resources, the right tools, the right expertise already at our disposal that we can and should, I argue, lean on to help us bridge that gap between where we are and where we hope to be a year from now. So in another related perspective article, Avorn and Kesselheim talk about the announcement by pharmaceutical company leaders that they won't apply for approval of a vaccine until adequate trial data are available. So how much do we know about how the ultimate decisions regarding approval, emergency use authorizations for these vaccines will be made? We know a fair bit. And one of the reasons that we do is because there's been such concern about the prospect that political interference, particularly from the White House, might lead to a hasty approval or authorization of a COVID vaccine, perhaps even against the judgments of the Food and Drug Administration and its scientists. So there's been a great deal of concern about that in recent months. And the FDA, to its credit, I'd argue, has been very clear in asserting in print, in public statements to Congress, and and really in any chance they get, that they will not waver in their commitment to science-based decision-making with respect to these vaccines from the FDA commissioner to the individuals who lead the center that will ultimately focus on these vaccine determinations. That has been the clear message. And they've said that in their words. They've said that in terms of their actions, in terms of releasing clear guidance documents regarding the standards that any vaccine candidate will need to meet in terms of how much data, what kind of data, how effective, how long patients are studied, the kinds of data like that that will be expected if the FDA is going to act favorably on those vaccine candidates in the months to come. And they've committed publicly and repeatedly, the FDA has, to reviewing any applications for an emergency use authorization or an approval at an open public meeting of its key vaccine advisory committee, where non-governmental scientists who work closely with the FDA will review the data that's put forward and offer their own public recommendations in a transparent way. So the FDA has made very clear what they expect, that they will not be pressured into taking steps that their scientists don't believe in. And the vaccine industry, I think, has joined that chorus of saying that they believe that the FDA has the tools, has the expertise, has the resources, and is the place where these decisions should be made. So it's a case where the Food and Drug Administration and the vaccine manufacturers are really speaking with one voice about the need for science to guide these decisions that are made in the coming months ahead. So once a vaccine is determined to be safe and effective, how long do you think it's going to take to roll it out? And what will happen to the other vaccines that are still in development at that point? Do you think that global vaccination efforts are ultimately going to involve multiple types of vaccine? It's a really important question. Almost unequivocally, yes, that we're going to need many vaccines 
in order to have the enduring change in the trajectory of the pandemic here in the United States and around the world. Many vaccines produced by multiple manufacturers relying on different technologies, if only to get the volume of vaccine doses that we're going to need, not just in the United States, but around the world. So that's why this idea that we have such a robust menu of vaccines in the pipeline using every technology that has led to proven vaccines in the past and some that haven't but hold great promise, like the vaccine candidates that get so much attention in phase three development right now that use the messenger RNA. So we're going to need a lot of vaccines. We know that not all the vaccines in development will succeed, but the fact that we have as many players on the field means that we will have, in all likelihood, one or hopefully more than one approved vaccine that we can deploy as soon as possible after an EUA, that emergency use authorization, or approval comes from the FDA or something similar from international counterparts. So one of the other features of the Operation Warp Speed team is that the production, the manufacturing, the scaling, the planning for those vaccine candidates is already underway, even if it may turn out that one or more of those vaccines won't clear the bar necessary for approval again, to narrow that window of delay that would otherwise appear if we waited until a favorable action from the FDA to begin the manufacturing and production to get vaccine doses available. Now, there's still, I think, managing expectations will be the key message for 2021 with respect to COVID vaccines. It's still going to take a long time to get the kinds of volume of doses that we're going to need to really vaccinate large numbers of the population in the U.S., let alone internationally. And that's why there's that parallel work happening to try and figure out the most scientifically justified, ethically sensitive set of principles to guide who gets vaccinated first during that scale-up period that I think no one would disagree is going to be an issue going forward in in these initial months of a potential vaccination campaign. So finally, and in some ways an extension of what you just say, along with relying on established processes for vaccine evaluation and deployment, what strategies do you think are going to be necessary to gain public trust and to ensure that vaccine hesitancy doesn't undermine the COVID-19 response. Yes, doubts about the safety, the efficacy, the value of vaccines has been a common feature of vaccination for years, for decades, really for centuries, and has been such a threat to the success of vaccination programs. And we've seen already reports around public attitudes regarding COVID-19 vaccines that so much of the concerns, the confusion, the claims of potential political interference means that we have work to do to get the kind of broad public support for these vaccines that we're going to need to get the kind of vaccination coverage rates that will make the large dent or better in the effects, the burden of the virus that causes COVID-19. So there's a tremendous amount of work that will be needed in the months ahead around communication, around education about the vaccine, about the processes by which it was rigorously evaluated, about the science supporting the safety and efficacy of the vaccine, and particularly also the ways in which those vaccines will continue to be studied long after they are approved by the FDA to ensure that we understand everything we can around their safety, around how long they provide uh, protection, and to respond to the particular concerns among particular communities regarding the vaccines and their benefits. This is an important, incredibly challenging set of considerations that will be the sort of the next chapter if and when we're fortunate enough to have an approved vaccine. But it will begin with clear communication, clear educational efforts from trusted scientists and public health officials speaking frankly about what we know and what we're learning to understand why these vaccines are as valuable as we expect them to be. So it will be an important effort because ultimately a vaccine that doesn't get to the people who we're trying to protect is a great scientific achievement, but it won't 
accomplish what we're counting on it. So that will be a very important subsequent chapter for which planning is already happening, as it should, to think about these features of vaccination programs. Thank you, Dr. Schwartz.